Retreat House listeners, I wanted to pop on before the episode starts and let you know that this is going to be part one of a two-part conversation I had with Sunday Burquest. We sat down and talked for over an hour, and there's just so much to her story that I it was it was too much, but it was too good. I couldn't cut anything. And so I decided just to make it into two parts. So this week is going to be part one, and next week is going to be part two. So make sure you tune in both weeks to hear my full conversation with Sunday Bird Quest. Let's head into the episode. Welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Smith. I've invited a friend to the table to share their story. Come and join us. Welcome to the table. I am so glad that you're joining me this week. We are continuing our series on spiritual formation, and this week we are talking about grit. And the reason I wanted to talk about grit is because I am not one of those people that naturally have it. I am a bow out. I'm a self-sabotager generally. And I've just been realizing recently the importance of grit. And so when someone suggested that I have my guest on the podcast and I heard that she was Grit Girl, I was like, yes, (laughs) yes, 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 I need to have her on the podcast. So I am so excited to welcome Sunday Burquest to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so, I'm just really excited to talk about this topic. And it sounds like you, oh, you know what? Is there anything else you'd like to say about yourself? (laughs) I get right into conversations. It's okay. I did this on my last episode. Oh, that's right. I don't like in the middle. You're yeah. like, oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. wait. This. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm a wife mm-hmm. of over, it's going to be 28 years this summer. Wow. I have four kids. My youngest is 18 and a senior in high school this year. I have three boys and a girl. Okay. Those are my two most important mm-hmm. roles. I am a breast cancer survivor, mm-hmm. a contestant on the reality TV show Survivor. Two years ago, Millennials versus Gen X, mm-hmm. speaker and author, and just a woman that's passionate about helping other women like yourself <laughs> discover that you do have grit. <laughs> you do. It's in there. Just got to tap into it. Yeah, exactly. So why don't we start at, or where would you like to start in talking about grit? Like where? You start know. at the beginning if you want. Sure. Or whatever. Yeah. It's up to you. I, I mean, it, because yeah. I said... Some people just seem to naturally have it and are are able to tap out, tap into it. And some people like me aren't as it's not doesn't feel as readily available. So which kind of camp would you put yourself in? I would put myself in the comes by it naturally camp. Okay, but that is a product of my environment growing up and the examples, mainly my mom. Mm-hmm. that were around me. So I can look back now that I am calling myself Grit Girl and mm-hmm. now that I'm passionate about sharing that with other women, I had to look at my own life and go, okay, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And was it there all the time? I do think personality plays a little bit of a role in it. I am a type A firstborn and that tends to come with a, some level of grit possibly. Mm-hmm. But I almost don't like to bring that up because then I feel like people discount themselves. Like, well, I'm not a type A, so I don't have grit. Mm. 
And the truth is you do because it's a God-given gift. It's strength. It's courage. It's bravery. Mm-hmm. How many times in the Bible does he say, do not fear? I am with you. Mm-hmm. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a strong mind. So we're told over and over we have it. So personality isn't really an excuse to say I don't have mm-hmm. grit, rather an opportunity to go, okay, I might have to dig a little bit deeper than type A girl over there. To find it. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with, my boys' school talks about a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. A fixed mindset says, this is the way that I am and I can't change. Mm-hmm. And a growth mindset says, oh, well, I didn't succeed this time. If I do this and this differently, then I might succeed the next time. So it sounds like a little bit like what you're saying is that if you, you don't want people to fall into a fixed mindset of, oh, I don't have it. I'll never have it. I can't do it. Exactly. And to have more of that growth mindset mm-hmm. of, I just need to tap into it. First of all, I love that. And second of all, I, I love they're teaching the, kids in school. <laughs> I know. The first time I heard it, I was like, mind blown. Yes. And I have a fixed mindset. So yes. how do I make that change? How do I make that change in my self-talk? How do I make that change in the conversation with my boys? Mm-hmm. And it's been a big learning curve for me. But even and even as I was saying that, oh, I don't have grit, I was, say, I was thinking, oh, yeah. So I really <laughs> appreciate the way that you're approaching it. Well, I appreciate what you just taught me because I'm inserting that into my keynote speeches. (laughs) Um, And that carries over in so many ways. Like I had to learn as a wife that I couldn't have a fixed mindset in the sense that this is my personality, deal with it. Mm -hmm. Because that's easy to do. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm a tell it like it is. Maybe some people like sister-in-laws could say bossy Mm. (laughs) or sisters. A manager. Yeah, someone like that. But. But I think there's a temptation there to be like, that's just who I am, so you need to deal with it. Mm. That's really not God's approach or the mm-hmm. approach of love because love prefers others. Mm-hmm. So I think it is a growth mindset for many of us. And even myself. It's not like my whole life I'm like, I have grit and everything's easy. <laughs> you know, I, I've gone through, like everybody else, a lot of difficult circumstances that got mm-hmm. me to where most days I feel like I have grit, mm-hmm. but there definitely are still the days that I go, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. So take us back a little bit. And if you want to go all the way back to talking about how your mom demonstrated grit mm-hmm. to you, we can go back that far too. Where do you think would be the best place I think to that's start? a good spat to start. We okay. don't have to spend a lot of time there, but I think mm-hmm. it's foundational. So when I was little, mm-hmm. my parents got married very young. 18 and 19, no, 19 and 20. Okay. And uh, my mom came from a home with both parents as alcoholics. Her mm-hmm. mom died when she was 17 of alcoholism, wow. and she had to raise some of her siblings. Her dad died of alcoholism two days after she was married, and she pretty much got married to escape. Unfortunately, my dad was an alcoholic. Mm. And when they got pregnant, in my mom's mind, she thought, okay, we were teenagers. Now we have a baby, and we're going to be adults now. Mm-hmm. But my dad wasn't mm-hmm. ready to do that. So fast forward a few years, and she's got three small children and an alcoholic husband and is looking at facing the same life that she did. And mm-hmm. she wasn't willing to bring her three, at that time, kids along for the same outcome. 
And I remember we, she brought us all to church every Sunday. My dad never came. When I was in about third grade, my dad, my dad was an alcoholic, but on the same hand, he was an amazing dad in the sense that he spent a lot of time with us, a lot. Mm -hmm. He was the dad in the neighborhood that everybody wanted to be their dad because he would get out the station wagon and take every kid on the block to the beach or to the zoo. Mm -hmm. Or we went bike riding and roller skating all the time. We were always doing something, especially me. I was the oldest, and we went camping like almost every weekend. So One weekend in third grade, we went to his deer hunting shack, which was gross, but that's besides the point. My dad has one of those, too. <laughs> and when our baby was born, when we, our oldest was a baby, we stopped there because I had never seen it. My husband oh. had gone hunting there, and we went in because I needed to feed the baby. And I walked in, and I walked out, and yeah. I was like, no. No, no. I gotta go back to the car. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, when you're a kid, you put up with a lot more. Right, right exactly. So this one particular night, we were by the fire at night like normal, and... Mm-hmm. I don't remember what prompted this. It was only in third grade. But I said to him, Dad, when are you going to ask Jesus in your heart? And he said, as soon as someone tells me how. And I said, well, I can tell you, Dad. And I let him in the prayer of salvation. And he, I didn't realize this, but he didn't tell my mom. And I didn't either. I don't know why. Mm -hmm. You're a kid, you Mm -hmm. know. But I ended up telling her and then at my church, I went to a covenant church, they had a special night where they wanted to highlight the kids. And so they asked me to share that story in front of the church. And because I was sharing, my dad came. And that's when both my parents realized, wow, this was really a big deal. Mm -hmm. Well, shortly after that, after a couple of scary incidents with his alcoholism, my mom got to the point where she said, you either quit or leave. You'd have to know the situation to understand the enormity of her saying that. She's a woman that was moved 13 different schools before her senior year, barely graduated from high school, didn't get her driver's license till she was in her early 20s. Wow. So to say to her husband, who's the only breadwinner, mm-hmm. quit or leave with three small children and no support. And I told you her parents had oh, yeah, passed. Oh, both gone. She didn't have support. She had um, my aunt and uncle who were awesome, but mm-hmm. she really didn't have. That's hugely brave. Hugely, hugely. Huge. Who does that? I mean, it had to have been so, so, so scary. Right. In her mind, she thought he wouldn't leave these kids because he did love us so much, but that was the threat he used. Well, if you do this, I'll leave these kids and I'll never talk to him again. Mm. And on the inside, she's like, I don't think that would happen. So I remember Mm -hmm. one day he had been in an accident. He had driven his motorcycle up an exit ramp drunk. And uh, he was on the couch, and he was trying to kind of cover up with a blanket, but both of his eyes were black and blue. And I remember saying, Dad, can can we go ice skating? And he said, I don't know, because your mom says I might have to leave. And I knew there was problems, right? Mm -hmm. My mom had been sending me to AA for kids Mm -hmm. on Saturday mornings, so it's not like I wasn't aware, but at what time is that not a shocking statement to a kid right but the good news is he chose us Hmm. and he quit drinking cold turkey started going to church my mom got she's like I'll go to whatever church you want if you'll if you'll go Mm -hmm. and they picked living word and it was um different for my dad he came home he's like I've never heard of drums in church before (laughs) from then on we were at 
that church. Mm-hmm. I grew up there. My dad actually started like the parking ministry and the first church bowling league and softball team and church picnic and all these things. Which is interesting. I mean, those are all the things he had done in the neighborhood. Yes. So it's just part of just, who he was. Yes. He... A servant. Mm-hmm. How can I help? Mm-hmm. However, you know, the old man doesn't automatically go away. Mm-hmm. So there was it was difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents had a difficult relationship. My uh, siblings are ended up, you know, being five of us. There was three and then a big gap. And so my sister was born when I was 16. So there was a okay. wide range of siblings. And our house was, for all intents and purposes, the crazy house. A lot of yelling, a lot of chaos. My brothers were awful. Hmm. My mom refers to them as Hellion 1 and Hellion 2. And then there was Hellion 3. I held the prize as the best child, I will say. <laughs> but I wasn't always perfect. But watching her go through all of that and police coming to the house and scary, like you don't know someone's going to beat the crap out of your boys because they're stealing and mm-hmm. all these things. But she just kept holding on to God and just kept going back to him and just kept believing and kept praying. I, I don't have time to get into it today, but if I could tell you the testimony of those brothers. Mm. One's a sergeant um, in the police department. One has a, you know, million dollar flooring company and didn't hardly graduate. (laughs) Went back and got his high school diploma after the fact. But this Mm -hmm. is a kid who they told could read at a fifth grade level. Wow. And now is successful. You know, so God's been so good. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like there's a lot of grit in all your family members. or ever they were they've tapped yes. into it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and you know they say every 4 years you get a firstborn personality technically mm. in a family structure. My mom has four firstborn children because of the years <laughs> spanning. Yes. And so there's a lot of strong <laughs> people in my family and we've all experienced grit on many levels. Mm-hmm. Many many my we just this week was the anniversary of my brother and his wife um, losing a stillborn mm. son, Hunter, who is now 14 in heaven with my dad. Mm. So that was big things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another brother that struggled for many years with a heroin addiction. That that really takes a toll on a family. Right. So many things. But yet, that grit is there. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it's from God. It isn't, oh, we mustered it up because we have the right personality, or we mm-hmm. mustered it up because we went to church enough, or we mustered it up because we're just that kind of family. That only comes from the inside, from from God. One thing that, that that's interesting that you're saying that, the because the that preaching class that I took, mm-hmm. one of the things that stuck out to me was that when we preach, it's God first, and then we respond. It's never, if we do this, then God will do that, because that gets messy real fast. It's always God-initiated, God offering, God making a way. It's always God first, and then we're responding to it. Then we get to choose whether or not we respond to it. I heard you say that, and I almost pulled over to write it down, because it's, it's so true, and I have such a good personal example of that exactly Mm -hmm. if if we want to fast forward a little bit. Mm -hmm. Before I get to that, I just want to say my dad passed away when I was 30 of cancer. He was only 49. God, that's young. So young. So young. Um, Then my father-in-law passed away two years later of cancer. Oh, I'm sorry. So getting to my story, I 
in 2011, my husband almost died and had emergency open heart surgery and almost died two weeks after that from internal bleeding. Wow. So things are like, okay, you know, you're starting to go, God, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. hello, what's yeah. going on up there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a miracle my husband survived. And, you know, when I had people say, well, why would God let that happen to him? Mm-hmm. And my response would always be, actually, it was God's mercy that kept him alive because mm-hmm. he could have easily died on the treadmill at the club. So all that happened, that's 2011. Now we get to 2012, and I get the phone call that changes my life. So sorry to tell you, you have invasive ductal carcinoma. Mm -hmm. And I sat there with no response. The nurse said, do you understand I'm telling you you have breast cancer? And I said, yep. Oh, my gosh. That's like the call that you dread. It's the call... The way I say it is it changes your life from a before and an after. Mm-hmm. It's the before cancer life and then the after cancer life. I remember her saying, you know, would you like me to spell it for you? No. Well, could you repeat after me? I have breast cancer. Mm, nope, not going to do that either. So, of course, it's shocking. Mm-hmm. You know, the enemy knows our weaknesses. So walking through this process, I have to be honest and say I really didn't fear that I was going to die of the cancer. It was stage three. It was in my lymph nodes. But I really I really felt like I, I always have believed that doctors and God are on the same team. They want the same thing, mm-hmm. health and healing. Mm-hmm. And I believed that God was going to work through my doctors, and he did. But here's where the enemy got me. You're not going to do faith right. In my mind, Mm -hmm. you're not going to read your Bible enough. You're not going to go to church enough. You're not going to say the right things. You are going to blow it when it comes to faith. Mm. And so I, I struggled with this until one day I felt the Holy Spirit on the inside. And, you know, I love how he talks to you, just how, like, you would talk, right? Mm -hmm. So he says, well, I got a question for you. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, you know, on the inside. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's like, what if you went to church enough? What if you read your Bible enough? What if you said exactly the right thing every single day? What if you quoted scripture all day long? Do I owe you healing? Wow. Right? Mm-hmm. I was like, light bulb. Mm-hmm. No. He's like, this is a free gift. You're not earning it. And that's exactly what you're saying. It mm-hmm. was like, I, it, we get this idea that if I jump through the hoops, if I play the game. Or I've done it right. Yeah, I play the game. I look good. Right. I do it right. Mm-hmm. Then God is obligated right. to answer my prayer. Or, oh, my gosh. It's like, like, it's like you're in my head. Yeah, so <laughs> wrong and right. backwards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Just and, a lie. A Just lie. a bold a, com- lie. a complete lie, yeah. which drives us to works. Mm-hmm. Right. What I kind of learned through that process also was helping my kids understand that A and B isn't always C. To be honest, aside from, you know, what my husband went through and I went through, if you looked at it, my kids have had a pretty great life. You know, their parents are married. They're not, they're coming home. You know, Mm -hmm. they've had a good life. So when something goes wrong sometimes in their world, which, you know, comparatively speaking is 
not <laughs> the end of the world. But to them, something goes wrong. It's almost like their brain goes tilt. Mm. But I did X, Y, Z, so I should have. And we've had to explain it's to them. It's not fair. It's not fair. Mm-hmm. Or God owes me or whatever it is. And even as a parent, when you do everything that you know you can do to raise your kids up Serving quote, God. Quote right. Yeah, mm-hmm. quote right. Mm-hmm. And and they go off the track. So many times we blame ourselves. And it's like, you do the best that you can. You put all the principles of the word into place, but they are still a free moral agent. Mm-hmm. So just because you in your mind feel like you did it perfectly doesn't mean you're owed a robot child. Right. And I like to say that because so many parents feel guilt. Or shame or like, oh, my kid is, you know, dealing with drugs. It must be my fault. No. You do your best and they're a free moral agent and then you keep praying for them. Mm-hmm. That's where the power comes from. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I got off on that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good tangent, though. Oh, it's a good it one. Valuable. Okay. <laughs> you know, so the grit had to show up. It was there. You know, I had all these other things leading up to, to the cancer diagnosis and um, my hardest part, besides telling my kids. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't. I can't it, imagine. When it first hit, I told Jeff, we're not telling them. I can't put this, put them through this again. I mean, they had, I felt like they had barely gotten over what happened to my husband. And losing their. And both grandfathers. grandfathers. So in their personal experience, the people that had cancer. Died. They died. Mm-hmm. Young. Young. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I don't want to tell him. That was the worst day. Well, and I imagine that would be a struggle because we don't want to put them through. We want to protect them as much as we can. But also on that same thought, and I've not had to stand in the shoes that you stood in either. They miss out on the opportunity to see God work if they don't know what's happening. I, I'm so glad you said that because there's two Two aspects of that I want to address. A, I told them, you know, they were old enough to understand what breast cancer meant. They were 12, 14, 16, and 18 at the time. Okay. And my 18-year-old son just put his head in his hands and sobbed. It was not fun. Mm-mm. And I told them, I am telling you, I am fighting. I will fight. I'm not, I didn't want them to see me in the fetal position in the corner feeling sorry for myself for the next year and a half. So I wanted them to know I was fight. But at the same time, they needed to see some of the hardship. Because if I shield them from all of that, when they go through something hard, and they will, I don't want their first thought to be, well, my mom handled it perfect. Mm. She was fine. What's wrong with me? Mm. And that's where I think it's frustrating sometimes in the church where people don't want to admit the struggles they're going through, say, a pastor or a leader. Because then everyone in the congregation who is going through something hard compares themselves and says, well, my pastor must be the one with enough faith because they're not going through anything. Mm-hmm. And that's not it at all. No. We're all going through things. Right. So I wanted him to see that balance. Yes, I'm fighting. I'm believing God. I'm going to do everything possible. But at the same time, it doesn't mean it's easy. Right. Or there are no guarantees like what you talked about Absolutely. before, Absolutely. And I had that talk with them. Mm-hmm. Listen, guys. I'm going to be fine. I'm telling you that right now. However, if I were to die, it would suck Mm -hmm. for you guys for a while, a long time. But we are not those without hope. Right. 
you are going to see me again. And while it'll feel like forever on this earth, it's going to feel like a blip in heaven. Mm -hmm. I had to say it. The gift that came out of that situation with both me, myself, and my husband was this. You will never, I I am going to say never, convince my kids that God isn't good Mm. and that God won't be there for you. You would never convince them that God wouldn't be there. Which is such a gift. It is. To be so firm in that because part of my story is a lot of loss. I had 12 or 14 losses in four years. Holy cow. And one of them was my mom dying of cancer. Oh, and so miscarriages sorry. and mentors dying. And, and, and I got to the, and the question I asked was, God could have healed her and he didn't. And can I trust a God that, because that doesn't feel good. And, and I came to realize too, that my, even my definition of the word good was wrong. Like what good, good isn't always feel good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the good thing is the hard thing. Anyway, yes. so that's what no, an amazing I, lesson for your child, like to have that like pillar principle so deeply ingrained in them is what a gift. It, I mean, a hard earned, yes. hard earned yeah. gift. You have to look at it that way. Yeah. Because would I ask for it to happen? Would they? Absolutely <laughs> no. not. But God works all things mm-hmm. to our good. And there's, I truly believe no matter how hard the situation is, you can find something good out of it. Maybe right. not right away. And maybe you don't see it right away. But but God's always behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Well, And always working. there. Always there. Yeah. Always there. After my mom died, a friend said, look for the Lord. Look for God because he will show up. And if you don't look, you might miss it because Absolutely. it might it'll be in small ways. I love that. And he did that for me all through the cancer. Mm-hmm. Little things like even to the me getting the doctor I want I needed for my mm-hmm. chemotherapy. When I called, the operator chuckled. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to see him when? And, okay, well, just hang on. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go look. You know, and he comes back and he had an Australian accent, which was funny. And he was like. You are one lucky girl because I got you in. I was like, I'm not lucky. Mm-hmm. I prayed. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, you have an appointment. <laughs> and little things God did. I had eight rounds of chemo. Okay. And I started them at the late spring. And I had told them these have to be lined up and done before my son's football season. He was a senior that year. Football season is eight games. It's short. Right. And I said, I'm not missing a single football game his senior year. Mm-hmm. I'm not. So we backed up the chemo so that I would be done for his first game. Had my last chemo on a Tuesday. Was at his game on Friday night. Wow. He comes out on the field. They come out. He's on the, you know, front line. And it's kind of sometimes hard to spot them because they're all wearing, obviously, the, the same, same colors. Uniform. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, you're in the bleachers and I'm trying to find him. And, I, you know, you want to spot him right away. He's on the front line. And I look and he's wearing pink cleats. Mm-hmm. And he's got pink gloves on in my honor and surprised me. And God used him. God uses people. And it was like God giving me a giant hug through my son. He did things like that all along the way just to remind me. Because when you're in such a hard time, you can be like, God, where are you? Right. 
are you snoozing on the job up there or what's going on, right? But he reminds us. One of my favorite scriptures is in Psalm 40, verse 2. The Lord inclined his ear and heard my cry, pulled me up out of the pit of miry clay and set my feet upon a rock. Mm. And that pit, when you study it in the word, it's a, it, it describes a trapped hole with no sides. So imagine okay. you're in like a dark well, mm-hmm. but there's no sides where you can brace yourself to get yourself off, get yourself out. Mm-hmm. So in essence, you are 100% trapped in a hole because you have no bearings. Yeah, nothing to grab onto. Nothing to grab onto to mm-hmm. get yourself out. That's the picture that is being painted there. But yet you have the strong arm of the Lord that reaches down and pulls you mm-hmm. out. Which I love, but just as much I love that he said he inclined his ear Mm -hmm. and heard my cry. Mm -hmm. When you have a newborn, you're listening, right? You're running in there every time. Are you breathing? Especially your first one, (laughs) not the second and third. You're like, I'm sure you're fine. But the first one. Well, that first time that they sleep for like six hours, it's like, like, oh, 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 oh my gosh, are they breathing? Are they? (laughs) You're by the thing, like, (laughs) Are they moving? Yes, 100%. <laughs> so but think of that and then right. think of how much even better of a parent God is. Mm-hmm. So he's listening. One thing I loved I heard someone say one time is when you don't understand, which many, you know, we don't understand when these things happen to us. Right. They said, put it in your I don't understand file. So picture your mind as a file cabinet. You have a little yellow manila folder and on it the title says, I don't understand. I might have more than one. <laughs> right? right? Dad's cancer mm-hmm. in the file. Mm-hmm. Father-in-law's cancer in the file. Nephew Hunter in the file. Right. And there's been just as many times that God has shown himself faithful mm-hmm. where it did turn out right. It was a miracle. But we have our idea of how God's supposed to answer our prayers, right? Right. Well, and he always answers. Sometimes yeah, it's I'll, no. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that you just said that because I I say God always answers our prayers. It just might not be the way that you wanted him to. It doesn't mean he didn't answer. Mm -hmm. It could be that he's saying, yes, but not now. Mm -hmm. Right. It could be that he's saying, actually, I answered that in Mark chapter four, verse, you know, go back to the word. I already Mm -hmm. answered that. Or no, I'm going to answer it this way. Well, and often, at least in my experience, it has been it's no but because yes. I have something better. better. Mm-hmm. Yep. I didn't open that door because right. I can see more than you can see. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And I have such tunnel vision. Oh, we do. Often. We do. We have such tunnel vision. <laughs> and he continues to show himself faithful in so many ways. Mm-hmm. My sister last year had a baby at 22 weeks. Wow. I'll tell you what. Wow. I was on family vacation over the 4th and... You know, they were, my mom is calling me, you know, she's in the hospital. They're going to try and keep her, you know, on bed rest and pregnant. And then an hour later, she's in delivery. And so I sat by the phone waiting. Is he going to be alive? Mm -hmm. And the phone finally, and my sister had had three C-sections leading up to this. So the phone finally rings and I answer, hello. She says, well, I finally had a vaginal delivery. (laughs) I was like... (laughs) Oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) He's alive. (laughs) But it was touch and go. He was in the hospital for over six months. 
when she had small children at home. Mm-hmm. And total miracle. I wish I could show you in a podcast a picture yeah. of this miracle. So many, many times over does God answer prayers in ways that we do expect. It was right. hard. It was a long road. Mm-hmm. And the doctors every day had something to say about, well, this could be wrong and this could be wrong. My sister started calling, referring to one doctor as bad news bear. <laughs> um, but they have to do that. They have right. to try and prepare you. But um, when, when they went back after they left the hospital for their first checkup, the doctor, the head of the NICU unit said, Sawyer has raised our expectations mm. of what a 22-week-old baby can do. How much did he weigh when he was born? He weighed uh, one pound and I want to say five ounces, basically a pack of butter. Wow. A pack of butter. That's what he weighed. And it amazes me because when I got to finally see him a week later, he had fingernails, knuckles, ears were fully formed, his nose, lips, everything. It's amazing. And the NICU unit at the University of Minnesota beyond, I can't even tell you how wonderful and caring all of them were. But to look at him... At, at that age and go, you are going to survive. And, and the, the neat thing was Sawyer means warrior. Mm. So every time we said Sawyer, we were calling him a warrior. And he was. Feisty. The nurses would He pulled his tubes out a couple times <laughs> when he shouldn't have been able to, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. So, yeah. Goodness. So let's go back to your mm-hmm. story with your fighting cancer and the grit that it took? I'll tell you, one of the the stories where I, I really got to experience that was my first chemo treatment. Mm. I went in, my sister and I were goofing around on the way there, taking Instagram pictures. Oh, you know, first chemo, blah, blah. So in my mind, I wasn't feeling like I was worried. Mm-hmm. We start the first treatment, and it's called the Red Devil. It's it's the medication that makes women lose their hair and get mm-hmm. sick. It's it's usually the worst of, of the treatments. So my nurse starts it, and I start sobbing uncontrollably. And, and I'm, like, confused because on the way there, I wasn't, like, worried and nervous, mm-hmm. or I didn't think that I was. So I start bawling, and I can't stop. So they bring my doctor in, and he's like, this is, in quotes, Normal. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, normal? What is wrong with you? And so I, I look at him and he says, you're just having an anxiety attack. And I go, I don't have those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like, mm, you are. That followed me after the cancer. I, I, I didn't know it would be a side effect. And maybe it isn't for everybody, but I think it's pretty common. I had anxiety and depression, something I'd never dealt with before. So even a year later when I go in and I get my piece of paper that says cancer is gone, I'm like, awesome, but I don't, I don't feel awesome. And it was so hard because I felt like I was underwater, almost like I couldn't get back to who I was. Yes. And I said I have four kids. I didn't cook. Four kids. I didn't do laundry. Four kids. Didn't clean my house Mm -hmm. for kids, you know. And I had wonderful friends and support system and people that helped. But I couldn't, I just felt like I couldn't get back to me. And it was so weird for me because, 
you know, I was saying earlier, I'm a type A personality. Mm-hmm. This and this wasn't, I mean, kind of going back to about that phone call with a diagnosis was a, there was before and after. Exactly. And you hadn't dealt with this before. Yes. So this is a new, you know, I've gone through, like I said, I've told you some of the hard stuff, but mm-hmm. it's different when it's your own physical self. Right. And I remember thinking, you know, I saw a woman jogging one day and completely lost it. I'm like, I can't do that. It was really hard. And it just didn't feel like me. But it was me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I I won't say it went away. It, it got better with time and support and different things. And me even acknowledging, you know, because like I said, when I told the doctor, I don't have those. Mm-hmm. I had to acknowledge to myself you're dealing with anxiety. Now, the gift, I try to look for the gift. Mm-hmm. The gift that came out of dealing with the anxiety and depression for me was empathy. Not that I, I didn't feel compassionate towards people. But there's a difference when you've walked the road Yes, that you can sit with someone and say, this is my story, and they get it. Like when my yeah. mom died, other people who had lost their mom, yes, I knew that there weren't many words that had to be spoken because they got it. Even if yes. the story, every story is different, every yes. loss is different. But there's still like this sisterhood, it feels 100%. like. A hundred percent. And mm-hmm. that's the same for me with women that talked to me that had breast cancer right. before I did. I didn't choose in my mind, oh, I'm going to take what you're saying as more important. But there's no way that you can't. Right. Take more. Walked the walk. Yes. Take mm-hmm. more out of what they're telling you. And mm-hmm. I had women like that that explained drainage tubes and marriage stuff and emotional mm-hmm. stuff, things I wouldn't have thought of. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so. The, so when somebody's walked the walk, that tends to carry more weight. It, it really does. And that's mm-hmm. why I like to share my story and talk to any woman who's going through it mm-hmm. and just, you know, answer questions or talk about things that people don't want to talk about. One thing I would like to just throw in mm-hmm. for caregivers, family, and friends that that have someone that's been diagnosed. One thing that was hard for me was people were so well-intentioned. So a let's hold back on the unsolicited advice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But B, try not to say, let me know what you need. I'm here to help. Just let me know what you need. I don't know about you, but for me, and I don't know if it's a woman thing or a mom thing, I, I, I'm really probably not going to call you and say, I need dinner for my kids tonight. I need someone to pick up so-and-so and get them to practice. I'm just, I'm just not. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes I think you don't know what you need. You don't need know what you need. Until some, and I haven't had cancer, but just with yes. grief yes. and with kids, uh, having children, that's I, I don't I don't even know what I need until I hear you say it. And then I, oh, yeah, yeah. that would be nice. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so instead, say, would you like dinner on Tuesday or Wednesday? Mm-hmm. Could I bring you Chinese or Italian? Right. I, I think it's the worst. People are like, well, just tell me what to make you. Well, I don't want to pick something expensive or right, hard right. or blah, 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 you know. <laughs> Could I clean your house this week or take care of your laundry for you? Or what day can I come and clean for you? Mm-hmm. Is so much more helpful. Right. Um, so I, I go through this process, and it isn't all completed. It didn't go away, but it, it's gotten so much better as time progressed. The anxiety? Yeah, the anxiety. And 
um, leading forward in the story then about two years after the fact. So I'm dealing with anxiety and depression for about two years. But it's better. Mm-hmm. My oldest son comes to me and says, Mom, you got through the cancer. I'm like, yeah. I think it's time It's time to go for the dream. Okay. So we turn in our first audition tape for Survivor. This is where we're going to stop for this week for the first part of my conversation with Sunday. I'm sorry. It's kind of like I'm just the worst. I'm the worst, aren't I? But when I heard that, I was like, that is the best cliffhanger. I have to stop it there. So so that's what I'm doing. Make sure you tune, tune in next week so you can hear the second part of my conversation with Sunday and about her experience being on Survivors, Gen X versus Millennials. Um, really fun to hear kind of the back behind the scenes story. If you want to know more about Retreat House, you can find us at, at Retreat House Podcast on social media. If you want to follow me, you can find me at, at Angie Smith MN. And anything that we talked about, you can also find in the show notes, how to connect with Sunday and how to follow her. I'll make sure I have all of that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for listening this week, and we'll see you next week on the Retreat House Podcast. Mm-hmm.